Get me all teary-eyed. Well, um, actually, Trevin, would you come over here? Um, at this time, we're going to dismiss the kids. And um, I need a mic. We're going to dismiss the kids and do our offering. But, Trevin, would you come on up? Sorry, I didn't tell you about this. I just want you to say, like, one or two things that you're going to miss about children's ministry. Maybe it's your teachers or I don't know if you guys had Teddy Grahams or whatever you guys had in there. But just a couple things that you're going to miss about children's ministry. Well, my teachers and um, the kids. Kids, yeah. Um, what else? Mm, just going there, too. Just yep. being there. Yep. Well, I'm excited for you that you get to go to the next level. But uh, have fun in there today, okay? All right. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, oh, what a day (laughs) before you, God, standing before you. Um, Your presence is here, and I'm excited about that. I I, I cannot wait for the rest of today. I'm so looking forward to what you have for us um, today as we walk through the book of Ephesians. But I pray, Lord, as these kids are going to their class and as we give our tithes and offerings, that it all would be worship. Uh, That our lives, Lord, from the morning till the night would be praise to you, God. That it would be a life song of praise to you, Lord. So as we give, Lord, let it be from a cheerful heart, a cheerful giver, Lord, that is full of joy and thankfulness for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you uh, for Ray, Lord, and Ray Rise, he's still getting prepared to go to Ghana. That you would continue to resource him, Lord, and that you would protect him and guard him, Lord. And we thank you for the path that you are making for him, Lord. And we pray that you would just continue to make his path straight. In your wonderful name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to men in other generations, as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. So today we're starting chapter 3 of Ephesians. We had that tune-up last week, and now we're back on the road. 
I've sure enjoyed the first two chapters, this walk through Ephesians. I love this verse-by-verse study of the Bible, especially in a book like this. I mean, this letter is jam-packed with divine inspiration and divine revelation. Every sentence seems to express and reveal a new glorious and life-changing truth about God. Think about it. This letter probably being circulated from church to church to church. These first century Christians who read or heard this letter, they must have stood there in amazement and in awe of what they were hearing and of what God was doing in their world. You and I, since we live in the year 2013, the church has been around for, what, about 2,000 years plenty of time for us to make our doctrines, to make our, you know, prayers, our creeds, the worship songs, and and these all try to explain all of the biblical truths that are found in this letter. But when this letter was first circulated, many Christians, this was the first time they had ever heard some of these truths, the truths that you and I take for granted. Can you imagine what it must have been like for these early Christians? Hey, Frank, you there, Frank? Hey, hey, Frank, come, come on out, Frank. Frank, so I, I just came back from the church. Uh-huh. And um, the apostle, Apostle Paul, they read his letter. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's saying that we are now with the Jews, one body. One body? You one, mean one like bo- together? One body, together, like one household, one family. Wait, like brother, brother? With the Jews, one family. In fact, he said that Jesus is is the cornerstone and we're all fitted together to him and we all rise up to the Lord. We're actually together a place where God's spirit dwells. That's amazing. It is amazing. Wow. Just wanted to tell you that. Thank you. You bet. Do you see that? I bet you that happened a lot. What the Apostle Paul reveals about Jesus is a game changer. It's a game changer for everybody. Whether you're Jewish or whether you're a Gentile, it's a game changer. Again, we discover, like last Sunday, Jesus changes everything. Can we say that together? Jesus changes everything. I pray that we would never lose our sense of awe, our sense of just gratitude and appreciation for what Christ Jesus has done for us. The mystery of Christ, that we are now a part of God's household, that there is unity in the body. Every time you read Ephesians, let your breath be taken away by the goodness that God has shown each one of us by adopting us into his family. So today we're covering about, I don't know, the first 12 verses or so in chapter 3. But before I do, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord God, stir us up by your Holy Spirit. Just stir us up for the things of God. Let us not sit idly by and sleepwalk through this life, Lord. We want to be present here, Lord. Have your way. Speak to us in your mighty name. Amen. All right. So Paul has this calling to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 1 states, he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. You and I, we would be considered Gentiles, non-Jews. So thank God that Paul was obedient in answering the call of God on his life. We all have benefited from Paul's obedience. That's a whole nother sermon, but remember, your obedience to God has the power to change future generations, right? 
just like Paul, by the Holy Spirit, lives can be changed for generations upon generations through our obedience. But Paul, he's an apostle. And in 1 Corinthians 4.1, he talks about being an apostle. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So as an apostle, he's been entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed to him. And the apostle Paul, he has a specific charge from God to reach the Gentiles, proclaiming the mysteries of Christ to them. He states this in Galatians 2, 7. He says, I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter has been to the circumcised, the Jews. New idea. In verse 2, he talks about the administration of God's grace that was given to him for the Gentiles. Paul describes this call on his life as the administration of God's grace. God's grace. This comes from a man whose call on his life has landed him in prison for preaching the gospel. Many of us, if we found ourselves in prison after being faithful and being obedient to the call of God, we would probably respond, thanks for nothing, God. Right? Come on, God, look at me. Look what I've been doing. And I'm in prison. I serve you. I do what you call me to do. And this is how you repay me. But look at Paul's response. Paul's response is to describe it all, all of it, as God's grace. And he uses the word grace to express his attitude to his readers, that it is a privilege to be given a task to accomplish for Christ, even when it lands you in jail, even in chains. Paul's view, Paul views God's call on his life as God's unmerited, undeserved favor toward him. Do you see it? We see the same attitude in Romans 15:15. 15, 15. Paul says, "Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God." In the beginning of Philippians, Paul declares from prison, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served the advance of the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, get this, dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Oh, to have the attitude of the Apostle Paul, to rejoice while in chains, to be so in love with Jesus, so wholeheartedly surrendered to the call of God on our life that we would give praise and worship to him even while in chains for the gospel. Many of us need an attitude adjustment. I wonder what Paul would think or say if he was around in 2013, able to observe how some of us go about our lives. 
Anyone ever complain about having a headache? I've been getting a lot of headaches lately. And I will just complain and gripe. I get kind of whiny. I get kind of grumpy. But I can't think of a bigger headache than being in prison. And yet Paul's prison letters are full of hope. They're full of joy, not despair and discouragement. In fact, I'm always encouraged when I read Paul's letters. I'm so thankful that they're a part of the Bible because they check every one of us on our attitudes. And they check us on our commitment to the call of God on our lives. Next time you're struggling, next time you're in despair or discouraged, read Philippians or read Galatians or read Ephesians. And not just a verse or two. Read the whole thing. In fact, read them all together. It will not take you that long. Read them. By the time you put down your Bible, you are going to be so fired up, so full of faith, that you will be ready to do whatever God has called you to do, even if it involves, like Paul, being in chains for Christ. So it's the administration of God's grace on Paul's life, but it's also God's grace to the Gentiles, which is demonstrated through Paul, making known to them the mystery, the truth of God, which is no longer hidden, but made plain to everyone willing to receive it. We've already talked about it, but this mystery is this. The Gentiles, us, we have been included into the family of God. Gentile and Jewish believers are now one body. We're now one household. We discussed this at length a couple of weeks ago. Ephesians 1.9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The mystery has now been made known. Romans 16, 25, 26. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. You can write this down if you want. It's not in the Bible. But the Gentiles, which is us, we've been invited to the party. Now, even in the Old Testament, you're going to see God bringing in the Gentiles. Paul, Paul gives some examples uh, from the Old Testament in Romans 15, 9 through 12. But it's a truth that until the time of the apostles, it had not been fully understood. And for the people of Paul's time, it's a truth that is just hard to understand. Jews and Gentiles, like we were talking there, becoming one people. I mean, that is just hard to understand. For many Jews, this would be a tough pill to swallow. I mean, switch that around. If we were Jews, if I was a Jew in Paul's day and I knew my scriptures and I observed the law, I would not appreciate the idea of these wild, lawless Gentiles being made with me into a new humanity, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. No way. I and my ancestors and generations before them have been called the children of God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would be hard to accept the idea of a new people group 
joining the family because they talk differently they act differently they have different customs different traditions it would be so uncomfortable for me and so many of their actions would be offensive to me and they'd be completely inappropriate to me you know i kind of think that we struggle with the same thing today in the church right we have our own customs we have our own traditions unwritten laws or rules that we follow as good little christians and the entire time that we are meeting together, God is trying to bring in a whole new group of believers, a whole new group of people into the family, and we're not sure if we want them. For each of you, it's a different group, as you think about this. It's a different group that would make you extremely uncomfortable if they sat down right next to you. So much so, if that person or if that group sat down next to you, you would begin to make a list of all the things that they're not doing right. Whether it's they're wearing a hat, or they smell like alcohol, or they're chewing tobacco, or they have tattoos or piercings, or whatever it is that gets your religious spirit rising up within you, instead of rejoicing that they are now a part of the family. Your religious or pharisaical spirit begins to make a list of all the things they're doing wrong. But God has grace for you this morning, <laughs> even for you. See, you're not the first person to feel that way. You aren't. We all feel that way. In fact, you're not alone. This has been happening in the church ever since God sent Paul to bring the Gentiles into his family. And a word of encouragement for you religious types. There is so much hope for you. I mean, Paul, Paul, he was one of the most religious men of his time. He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew his Old Testament scriptures frontwards and backwards. He could care less about the Gentiles. But his conversion, his conversion meant a complete transformation in his thinking. He was turned to see Jesus, turned to see Jesus, the one that he was passionately persecuting before. He was turned to see him not as his enemy, but as the Christ, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. And at the same time, his attitude toward the Gentiles turned as well. It was revolutionized. His attitude toward them was turned upside down by revelation by a gift from god paul came to see that jews and gentiles would stand together as the people of god fellow heirs sharing the inheritance and the heavenly riches of god he would come to realize through revelation that together they are one body of christ sharing the promise of life and salvation and real quick it's simple but i want to remind us this this whole unity thing. We, we've been talking so much about unity and this unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. I hope this makes it. I hope this is clear. It's all because of Jesus, right? Right? It's because of Jesus. I mean, this idea of being one body, one family, one household, it's all about Jesus. Because it can get kind of weird and scary. I mean, this isn't some new age thing. I mean, this isn't the all get along, hold hands, sing kumbaya, and be happy together doctrine. All right? You know I don't believe that. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a unity that's found in Jesus alone. Without Jesus, this unity that we've been talking about, do you think it exists? No, it does not. There's only one way to the Father, regardless of your past, regardless of who your mama or your daddy was, if you're German, if you're Asian, Middle Eastern, Jew or Gentile. Believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way any of us will ever find ourselves in Christ. Believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way you can be saved to go to heaven instead of hell, and it's the only means by which we can have a deep spiritual unity between all men and women who are found in Christ Jesus. Amen? 
It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on race. It's not based on our cultural backgrounds. And may I say it's not based on our political backgrounds. The unity is found in Christ. And there is no stronger unity than the unity that is found in the family of God. I see that here every Sunday with the super glue of the Holy Spirit all over us and everyone fitted perfectly to the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. You will not find a stronger building anywhere else in the world. And so next time you run across a believer who doesn't look like you or talk like you or dress like you or smell like you, don't start off that relationship making a list of all the things they're doing wrong. Burn the list. Burn the list. Instead, start off your relationship by talking about Jesus. Allow Jesus to be your bond. Allow Jesus to be what unites you to your brother and sister in Christ. Satan wants to separate us, by the way. He wants to keep us removed from the body of Christ. I've seen this happen a lot. His goal is to get us where we try to live this Christian life in isolation all by ourselves. Sadly, Christians are one of the most effective tools Satan has for keeping other believers out of the church. And he doesn't even have to do anything. He can just stand by as we bicker and fight, argue and judge, building up those walls of hostility building up our own personal kingdoms that excel and thrive at not allowing anyone else in. That's exactly what he wants. But not here. No way. Right? Lifespring? No way. We will love everyone who is in the family of God. The wall of hostility has been destroyed. As Romans 14:19 says, So then, let us, Lifespring, pursue what makes for peace, and for mutual upbuilding. And we're reminded in Titus 3.2, Life Spring, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Life Spring, I know we can do it. I know it. And I see it. And may God forgive us when we do anything less, when we treat other believers with anything less than how we would want to be treated. I went to a pastor's luncheon in Bothell this last week and the theme of the luncheon was better together. And I could not agree more. We are more effective for the kingdom of God when we are united together. Mark chapter 10, you're going to hear it read a lot in um, marriage and uh, wedding ceremonies. Jesus, he's talking to some Pharisees about divorce. And in regards to marriage, he says this. He says, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know what that sounds like to me sure sounds a lot like what jesus has done between the jews and the gentiles no longer two but you and i we've been brought together with the jewish believers that beautiful community of people to become one new body one flesh so let no man separate what christ has brought together amen amen with that settled let's keep it moving this verse by verse We'll hang out in verse 7 here. Paul declares, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Paul says he is less than the least of all the Lord's people. Yet this grace was given to him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, making plain to everyone that we are now united in Christ. 
I love what he says. I love it. He says, whoever you think is the least of all of God's people. So get a mental picture of the person you would consider to be the least of all of God's people. Think about it. You got, a, you got a picture of who that might be? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul is saying, I am less than that guy. And this isn't just false humility. This statement comes from the fact that Paul, he has meditated upon all the spiritual blessings of God that are found in Christ. He has delved into that infinite grace of God's gifts, and he realizes and he understands that within himself, There is nothing that makes him deserve God's mercy. There's no standing. There's no personal worthiness, no gifts, no talents on his own that qualify him at all to receive this grace gift that God has given them, this message of reconciliation. It is a gift from God. That's the same for you this morning. That's the same for me. It doesn't matter where you rank on the top 100 Christians of Fife, Milton, and Edgewood. It doesn't. They just came out with a list for the top 100 NFL placers. My boy, Russell Wilson. He's not my boy. I wish he was my boy because he's really cool. But he's a quarterback for the Seahawks. He was ranked number 51. But in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter where you're ranked. In fact, there is no ranking. He loves to use people who don't even make the list. He showers them with his grace. Undeserved favor. And he gifts them and he rises them up to do amazing things for his kingdom. Just read the Bible. It's full of people like that. So be ready. Be ready. You never know when God is going to call you to do something incredible for him. Just like he did for the Apostle Paul. And then now he says, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ. And when he talks about the boundless riches of Christ... It's important that we understand one thing. These riches that are found in Christ, these riches that we've talked about so much over the past several months, these spiritual blessings that are found in Christ, things like forgiveness, adoption, redemption, justification, the Holy Spirit, these infinitely transcend the riches of the world. The riches of the world do not compare to the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. But as believers in Christ, I hope we understand that our true wealth is, in fact, Jesus himself. Right? You don't come to Jesus just because of all those, that, that list of things. You come because Jesus is Jesus, who is Jesus, who is Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You come because he is worthy of all our praise. Jesus is our great reward. When Paul ministers to the Gentiles, he starts with Jesus, he ends with Jesus. Because he wants them to know that they are spiritually rich in Jesus. We have unsearchable and unmeasurable wealth in Jesus. In those first two chapters that we've covered in Ephesians, Paul, he gives his best attempt to describe them, right? He gives his best shot at describing the benefits of being spiritually rich in Jesus. But I hope we realize the list is much longer than Paul could ever write down on paper. The benefits of being found in Christ. The riches of Christ are unending. It's a list that goes on forever and ever and ever. The benefits of knowing Jesus are beyond description. We would run out of words to try to describe all the benefits found in Christ Jesus. Moving on. Verses 10 and 11. I love the Bible. It's coming together. 
His intent was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The beginning of that, it says, his intent was now, put it back up on the screen, please, through the church, through the church, through us. Through Hope Foursquare and Tom Gordon down the road, through Faith Family Baptist, through North Hill Seven-Day Adventist Church, and all believers, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God has been made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, all according to God's eternal purpose that is accomplished in Christ Jesus. You know, it's so important as Christians to realize that God has this eternal purpose and that his eternal purpose is being accomplished sometimes as christians we just freak out we do we just freak out but take courage be of good cheer stop freaking out god has a plan god has a plan and god's plan is no ad hoc plan god's plan is not one of those plans that has to be ever evolving where it has to continually react to the events of the world no God's plan was one that was conceived from eternity, and it is eternal in its scope. And it's accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, final verse, and then we're done. Verse 12. Let's read it together. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Let's say it again. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom. Freedom and confidence. I love verse 12. Paul, he's just been talking about some very big, very grand ideas in verses, uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 3. And then he makes a switch and he makes it personal. He has just described Jesus and his church and God in these exalted terms. But now he takes it down to a personal level. He describes how it all affects you and me. He tells us that this mighty God who is beyond our imagination, who is bigger than our comprehension, whose purpose embraces heaven and earth and time and eternity, this God, the creator of the universe, can now be approached with freedom and confidence in Jesus and through faith in Jesus. We can approach him. We can approach him with freedom, with a boldness and with a confidence. The writer of Hebrews, he tells us the same thing. He encourages us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And why can we do that? Why can we approach God's throne of grace? Why? Anyone know? That's one word. Start with a J. Jesus. All because of Jesus. Jesus has given us access to the Father. Hallelujah. Friends, this is incredible news. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins has made this possible. The forgiveness of sins is this precious gift of God's grace that can be received through faith in Jesus Christ. There might be some of you here this morning who have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. I want you to know that this morning, without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of your sins. I know that sounds harsh. I know that doesn't feel good, but it's the truth. There is no forgiveness of your sins. And your sin has made you an enemy of God. In his perfection, he cannot tolerate your sin. But God loves you. He loves you. And in his great love for you, he has made a way for you. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his name is Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. He made a way for you. 
He made a way for you. The, ba- the Bible says that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for you. He paid the penalty for our sins. And with his death and his resurrection, the Bible tells us that God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I would encourage you this morning, accept Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior so that your sins can be forgiven. So that your sins can be forgotten. It's the best decision you will ever make. Do not leave this morning without the hope of eternal life with God. And now for all of you Christians in attendance this morning. Let me ask you a question. I love asking questions. Pastor Dan's always got his questions. Well here you go. When was the last time. And think about it. When was the last time that you approached God with freedom and confidence. This is such a healthy question to be asked. Because many of us, we approach him full of guilt and full of shame. Right? Not freedom and confidence. And this is so vitally important to embrace and understand how we as Christ followers are to approach God. The Christian life looks completely different depending on how you approach God, doesn't it? Your prayers are going to sound radically different depending on how you approach God. How you minister to others, how you talk to others about Jesus in your workplace, in your school, in your family, on Twitter, on Facebook. They will all sound completely different depending on, you how, on how you approach God. Listen up. As a Christ follower, as someone who is found in Christ, you can boldly approach the throne of grace. But Pastor Dan, you don't know what I did last night. Pastor Dan, you don't know what I did with that girl last weekend. You don't know what I Googled on the Internet. No? You know what? I don't. I don't know. And I bet what you did was stupid. I bet what you did was inappropriate, probably obscene, and sinful beyond what I could ever imagine. But your sins are forgiven. You are saved by the grace of God. You are covered by the grace of God. God's grace His grace, His unmerited favor, which means you don't deserve it. You know how pathetic you've been. You know that you missed the mark. But this morning, as a follower of Jesus, you are smack dab in the middle of the ocean of God's grace. He didn't shower you with His grace so that you could approach Him full of guilt and shame. He didn't send His Son to die for you to be full of guilt and shame. He sent His Son to die for you to set you free. And he didn't wait until you had your act together. He knew all the terrible and awful things that you would do. And yet he still sent his son to die for you. He wanted to set you free. It's for freedom that he set you free. And if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. In your freedom, do not hang your head in shame, but approach God with a boldness and with a confidence. Now, you don't deserve the access that you have with the Father. I know that, you know that. But you have been saved by grace, not by works, so that no man can boast. And by the grace of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, came and made a way for you. In fact, He is the only way. John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. And I hope this is clear this morning. Jesus didn't give you access to the Father so that you could be miserable and beat yourself up and hold on to your sins. Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. He came so that you might have joy, peace, and life. John 10.10, I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. Many of us in this room are living our lives as if we are just waiting for the next punishment from God. Anything bad that happens, we figure it's the judgment of an angry God. Let me tell you, Jesus did not die a bloody, painful, horrific death just to make a way for you to be punished by God. Jesus died. He willingly gave himself up for you so that you might be reconciled back to God because of the great love of God. God loves you so much. He invited you to be a part of his household, invited you into his family. And this happened when you accepted his free gift of grace and found only in Jesus Christ. Once you accepted the grace of God, this gift grace, you became a Christian, one that follows hard after Christ, free from the power of sin in your life. So stop walking around with your head bowed low, discouraged and dismayed. Get up, stand up, and approach God with a boldness and with a confidence. But Dan, I don't deserve it. But Dan, you don't know what I did. You know, I believe you. I don't know what you do and you probably don't deserve it. But God Almighty, who deserves all the praise, declares you His Son. He declares you His daughter and He loves you so much. His love for you is beyond our description. One of my favorite songs, it says, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son, Jesus Christ, to make a wretch like me His treasure. Deep is the Father's love for us. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. His love sent His Son to the cross to die for our sins. God's love set us free. Don't waste Jesus' sacrifice by wallowing in your own self-pity, your own self-deprecation, your own verbal and spiritual abuse toward yourself. Jesus didn't die so that you could be miserable. It's called grace because it's grace. Tattoo that. It's called grace because it's grace, which means you don't deserve it. You didn't deserve God's grace when you became a Christian. And now that you're walking with the Lord, newsflash, you still don't deserve it. It's not about you. The Christian life is still about God and about His grace. You cannot earn the right to approach God. It's not a system of merit where you fight valiantly and then you get the right to earn earn the right to be able to stand before a holy and just God. No, you stand before the Almighty God. You approach Him all because of Jesus Christ. And I know it's hard for you. Some of you are having such a hard time with this because you're really good at sinning. You got it down. I know for myself, sometimes I just think I am a professional sinner. And then I read a verse like Galatians 5.13. It says, you, my brothers, were called, and my, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And I think, oh, bugger, I am wasting my life. I am wasting my freedom on garbage, on junk, on filth. Anyone ever feel that way? Yeah, you bet. I'm right there with you, buddy. But here it is. This is where the real transformation can take place in your life. And worship team, if you want to go ahead and come on up. I say this a lot, but I want to say it again. Remember, pay attention, remember who you are in Christ. Remember your identity in Christ. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. You're a holy one of God, a member of His family. You are a precious 
and desperately needed part of the body of Christ. If you see yourself as just a sinner, guess what? A sinner is going to sin, right? That's what sinners do. And a sinner just waits for the judgment and punishment that sin deserves. And as sinners, we walk around without hope, without a future. But you're not a sinner. You might sin, but that's not who you are. We are the holy ones of God. We are saints. And we walk in freedom. We walk covered in the grace of God. We are forgiven. We are justified. Declared righteous before a holy God. If you're struggling with your relationship with God because of all the bad things that you do, the first step to restoring that relationship isn't to stop sinning. It's not to try to stop sinning. See, on your own, that will never work. Have you ever tried that? might work for a day or two or a week, maybe a month, a year. But eventually you will run out of the willpower to keep from sinning. First step is always to humble yourself. Repent of your ways. Turn to Jesus. Thank God for his mercy and for his grace in your life. Thank him. Praise him. It seems so difficult to accept his grace when you feel so dirty. But let the Holy Spirit fill you up. Let the Holy Spirit remind you once again how much God loves you and how he is gracious towards you. And then get up, stand on your feet. And even though you don't deserve it, even though you know that you've done wrong, get up, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Get up, boldly approach the Almighty God with the freedom and with confidence. And I promise you, if you begin to walk out this life understanding your position in Christ that you are forgiven and free that God is for you not against you that God is on your side that he's resourcing you that he's giving you good gifts that you don't deserve that he's singing and dancing over you that he's sending his angels to guard you that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus as you begin to walk out these truths and believe these truths hold on to these truths sin is going to lose its grip on you where it once mastered you and kept you in chains and bondage, it's going to lose its power over you as you walk boldly and confidently in Jesus. If you are struggling with a sin that you are just tired of dealing with, I would love for you in just a moment to come forward as the worship worship team sings this last song. Spend time before the Lord. Pour your heart out to Him. Allow his grace to wash over you again. Take a step forward. Take a physical step forward to remind yourself and everybody else that you are a child of God, that you are blameless and holy, a saint. Now, it's kind of hard to come up after I say something like that because everyone's going to know that you're coming up because you're struggling with a sin. Well, two things on that. Number one, stop worrying about what everybody else is going to think get over that number two every one of us in this room probably did a doozy in the sin category this week in fact if you sin this week could you just please raise your hand look around come on look around put your hands down you're not alone 
But if you are one of the people who comes up front, it just means that you're tired of it and that you want to live in obedience and in freedom and you don't want that sin stealing your joy any longer. So let's all stand up and we're going to sing this song. And if you've been struggling to approach God with confidence, weighed down by your sin, during this song, come forward. Come forward to the throne of grace. God doesn't want you to live walking in shame and guilt any longer. Lord, break the chains. Holy Spirit, come. Move in power. Transform our lives. Hallelujah. Amen. My hope is built on nothing See? Yeah.